Hey everybody, this is Kale Clark. Welcome back to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio apps. We continue our study of St. Paul's letter to the Romans. So why don't you pull up a chair, grab yourself a cup of coffee or your other favorite beverage, whatever that might be, and let's open it up to Romans chapter 4. And, and it's interesting that I mentioned coffee. That's kind of apropos because this chapter contains something that I like to call a coffee cup verse. There are often uh, coffee cups that have Bible verses printed on them, and they're gifts, and, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're great. Uh, I'm trying to think of examples. Maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Think about 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter on love. Love is patient, love is kind. These are the types of verses that you see printed on coffee cups. Maybe the whole letter to the Hebrews could be on a coffee cup because Hebrews, right? Uh, the husband should make the coffee in the morning. Okay, all right, enough of that. But in, in chapter 4 of Romans, we do have another famous coffee cup verse. And it's Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But here's the problem with these coffee cup verses. They lack the context of what's around them, what came before and what came after that verse. So this, they can be very, very misleading. And so let's, let's take a look at the big argument that Paul's trying to make right now in Romans chapter 4. Now, we did start talking about, the, about this last time. Now let's read this first little section again, starting with verse 1. What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, his wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as his due. And to one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So also David pronounces a blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. Okay, let, let's stop there for just a second. And again, what Paul is doing here is he's really trotting out the big guns. He's referencing Abraham and David to back up his argument. And I don't know if anybody ever tried to do this before St. Paul, but th this is an incredible argument that he's making. As we said, it really shows his depth of skill as a rabbi to go deep into the scriptures to say, hey, this was part of God's plan. This is actually set up long, long ago, this infusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. So if you're going to make an argument, try to convince your fellow Jews, bringing up Abraham and David it's really not a bad way to go because Abraham, David, and of course Moses as well. Those are really the, I guess you could say, the top three uh, big hitters of the Old Testament. That's why the very first verse of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Very, very important. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So Matthew wants to show that Jesus is in the line of David. He is that one who's going to restore the kingdom of God, the kingdom of David. That's what David's kingdom was called in the Old Covenant. Uh, 
And also, of course, he fulfills the promises made to Abraham. You say, what about Moses? Well, Moses does come up in the rest of the book, even though he's not mentioned by name here. Matthew's gospel is organized in five major, he has five major teaching blocks of Jesus to correspond with the Torah, the five books of Moses. Jesus goes up on a mountain as Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount, which includes, of course, the Ten Beatitudes, which correspond to the Ten Commandments of the Old Covenant. We've talked about that at length in the past, but the point of this is that uh, Paul makes a really fresh and, and, and just stunning argument concerning Abraham and David. And so let, let's go to that coffee cup verse here for a second, where uh, Paul writes, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now that's Romans 4, 3, and it's referencing Genesis chapter 15. Now, I, I told you before in the last episode, for a little bit of homework, if you want, you can always check out Genesis chapters 12 through 17 uh, to see what it says about Abraham. And this is really the stuff that Paul's, Paul's drawing upon here. So let's go to Genesis. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let, and you can, by the way, we, we dealt with Genesis on the Genesis series on the Faith Explained. We've got lots of material on the archives on that on the Relevant Radio page on, uh, sorry, the Faith Explained page on the Relevant Radio website. So let's let's go to Genesis 15, though. We'll just read a few verses here because th this is absolutely critical to Paul's argument. So here's what it says. Uh, this is the beginning of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a slave born in my house will be my heir. So, <laughs> back in chapter 12, God had made all these stupendous promises to Abram about uh, his descendants, as numerous as the stars, all that sort of stuff. And Abram feels the need to remind God, Oh yeah, God, just in case you forgot, you promised me all this stuff. But I don't have any kids. I don't have a male heir. And if things go on as they're going on, then one of my servants, Eleazar, is going to inherit all my everything. So what's up with that? And God actually does know about this. And he's, he's prepared in advance here, obviously. And in Genesis 15, 4, it says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is the very scripture that Paul is quoting, Genesis 15, 6. He believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And that word reckoned can also mean he credited it to him. It's kind of a business term, if you will. So then he goes on to make a covenant with, uh, with Abraham to sort of like back this up for sure. But we'll stop there. We'll stop there. Let's get back to Romans chapter 4. Now in verse, in verse 4, the very next verse, it says, Now to one who works, his wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as his due. And that's true. If you have a job, and I'm assuming that most people listening to this program right now either have a job or have had one at some point in the past, 
And when you put in your work, you expect to get paid for your work according to the terms of your contract, whether it's a paycheck every two weeks. But that that's not that's not sort of above and beyond. That's just table stakes. This you've earned this. It's not a gift. Now, sometimes you do get gifts from your employer. I, I remember at the relevant radio Christmas party last year, there was some incredible chocolate covered candies uh, from a chocolatier in Green Bay, Wisconsin. They were amazing. And all the guys got a relevant radio puffer vest, which was awesome. It's great for cold weather. Everybody wears them all the time. They're super awesome. These are gifts, though. These are not our, our, our wages, if you will. And so you've earned it. If, you, if, you've, if you've been working hard, if you've been given 100%, if you haven't been slacking off on social media all day at work, then, then you have earned that paycheck. And, and th- that's, that's your wages. You've worked for it. But St. Paul says in verse 5, to the one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So now he's talking about something else here. He's saying that Abraham, as you said at the beginning, if he, if he has, was justified by works, by what he did to serve God, then he would have something to brag about. I did it myself. I did it my way, as Frank Sinatra would say. But he didn't. He didn't. He simply believed God and it was credited to him. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. So it's interesting too in verse 5 when he says, one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly. Paul's basically saying Abraham was ungodly back then. He, 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 he was essentially a pagan just like everybody else and God called him. He lived in this primordial time in the world where people worshipped all kinds of different things and were essentially polytheists and had there were many gods out there. And the one true and living God was starting to reveal himself to the world and picked Abraham. You're the guy who I'm going to start doing this with and through. So, so again, he justifies the ungodly. His faith is reckoned as righteousness. By the way, you're probably going to notice this word reckoned come up again and again and again in this chapter. Let's look at verse 6. So also David, this is where he brings in David. So also David pronounces a blessing upon the man to whom God, what? Reckons righteousness apart from works. I reckon he's been mentioning this word a lot. And then there's this quote from David, from Psalm 32. This is where this comes from. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. Again, that word reckon. So he's mentioning Abraham, and he's mentioning David, and he's using this word reckon. Paul mentions this a whole bunch of times. Now, why is he doing this? This is an ancient technique of the rabbis, by the way, and it's called Gezera Sawa. You don't need to remember that. But the rabbis, in the history of the rabbis, there were these two schools. You've probably heard of the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. There were two famous rabbis. And this idea of linking a bunch of verses together, rabbis would say, hey, if there's a word that keeps showing up in different verses of the Bible again and again and again, like reckon, then I reckon I should probably pay attention to that. Maybe it'll shed some light. If it, if it shows up in one verse and then in another verse, maybe maybe these two verses will shed light on each other and help us understand something about God. That was So this was part of Rabbi Hillel, the school of Hillel, his rules of interpretation of scripture. That was one of them. 
And so Paul is using this just for the hell of it, as it were. All right, so this is interesting. The other, the um, so his point basically is this: before Abraham ever got circumcised, before the law came into play, don't don't forget, Abraham lived a long time before Moses walked the earth and before God revealed the commandments to Moses. So Abraham doesn't have the written law codes of Israel. He doesn't have the Old Testament scriptures. He doesn't even have circumcision yet. That's going to happen later. God's going to command him to be circumcised. But he simply believes God. He has faith. He has trust that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. So this is before he was circumcised. So what's the, what's the point of all this that Paul's trying to say? He's trying to say that it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not. And it doesn't matter whether you're ethnically Jewish or not. Because the way to get in with God was always, even going back to Abraham, was always through faith. And this idea of bringing the uncircumcised into the people of God, that is the Gentiles. And yeah, some Gentiles maybe were physically circumcised. That's not the point of it. The point is all Jewish males are circumcised. Some of the Gentiles might be, but mostly they're not. But the point is that they were also going to be brought into the people of God. And that was always God's plan because he changes Abraham's name to Abraham, the father of a multitude. Your descendants will be like the stars of heaven. Nobody can count them. Nobody can count them. So what about David? This, this is, it's interesting they quote Psalm 32 here. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. It's about forgiveness of sins. In Psalm 32, the interpretive tradition is that that's not just for Israelites. That's for everybody. This psalm applies to everybody. That's possible for all people's sins to be forgiven. So this is really, really big here. So let's um, look at the uh, next few verses here. Let's pick it up in chapter 4, verse 9. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, K.O. Clark. All right, Romans 4, verses 9 and following. Is this blessing pronounced only upon the circumcised or also upon the uncircumcised? We say that faith was reckoned to Abraham. There it is again, reckoned. We say that faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received circumcision as a sign or a seal of the righteousness which he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So this is really, really important here that Paul mentions this. And then he goes on to say this, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised and who thus have righteousness reckoned to them. And who's he talking about here? The Gentiles. And then in verse 12, likewise, the father of the circumcised, that's the Jews, who are not merely circumcised, but also follow the example of the faith which our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So th this is so important. So Paul is, is, is essentially making this brilliant argument that Abraham was made right with God before he ever did anything that God was going to tell him to do in the future. He, he believed God. He trusted him. 
and and that and then he gets this gift of a relationship with him and then he ha- then god does give him some things to do and he has to actually do it he has to actually ratify this he does follow the instructive the instruction to be circumcised but th- this is this is really important because paul says hey this is how he's the father of jew and gentile alike but as he said earlier in romans um one is not a Jew who is one Jew only outwardly. In other words, circumcision alone isn't going to get you in. You also have to do what Abraham did, which is believe God, but also do what he's telling you to do. Follow his example. It's imitation, not just generation. Okay, so that, that, that's, that's incredibly important. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant uh, piece by St. Paul here. All right, let, let's keep going. Let's look at verse 13. It says, the promise to Abraham and his descendants that they should inherit the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Let me stop here for just one second. Where did God promise that Abraham was going to inherit the whole world? Uh, he didn't actually, that, people say, well, Paul's actually making that up because that's not in the Old Testament. He, he's, 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 he's just coming up with this out of thin air. Not really, not really, because remember, Abraham was told to take possession of the land of Canaan the Holy Land, and there were 10 nations that were living in the Holy Land. So this idea that they're representative of the whole world. So if you sort of, uh, this is how the whole world essentially is given to Abraham. It's through uh, those peoples living in the land. And they all eventually can come into the people of God as well. So let's go, let's keep going here. Verse 14, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null. And the promise is void for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So as we, as he's shown already in Romans, nobody's ever kept the law perfectly. So you can't bank on that as your way in with God. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So th- this is a, a really important um, verse here as well in verse 17 because really it's showing that paul believed in creation ex nihilo creation out of nothing god calls into existence the things that do not exist so that's true of the universe it's also true of you and me because all of us we don't need to exist we're we're contingent beings but god chose for us to exist called us into existence obviously with the help of our parents and he's got a plan for us and he also gives us this gift of faith something else that we didn't earn or deserve uh it's a gift just like our life and grace we both catholics and protestants say hey we are saved by grace nobody deserves the catholic church teaches nobody deserves this initial gift of faith this grace being brought into right relationship with god but then of course we've got to ratify it just like Abraham did. And that's where we have to cooperate with that grace going forward. Got to leave it there. But we're going to jump into now the Faith Explained mailbag section of the program. Let's go for it. 
Okay, as we open up the Faith Explained Q&A mailbag, I want to remind you once again, you can get your question to me by emailing me at this address, faith at relevantradio.com, F-A-I-T-H at relevantradio.com. You can also find me on the X app. My handle is at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So today's question comes via email from Mateo, and I don't know uh, whether Mateo is listening on the Relevant Radio app, the number one free Catholic app in the world, or whether he's listening on one of our 214 stations all across the U.S. of A. Not sure, because he doesn't say, but he does ask me this question. He says, hello, Kale. I have a quick question about the Holy Wars. The Holy Wars, interesting. When Lucifer rebelled against God, do you know who replaced Lucifer in his angelic role? Thank you, Matteo. Matteo, that's an interesting question because people often, there, there's an interpretive tradition that's out there, which you're probably aware of, that Lucifer was essentially the director of music in heaven. He was the choir master of heaven, as it were. So who gets to do music in heaven after he is kicked out? Uh that's 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 something that uh, we'll have to look into. And probably the way to do that is to look at some of these verses that are usually applied to Lucifer in the Old Testament. We don't even really know whether he was in charge of music in heaven. It's assumed from a whole bunch of different verses, like Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13, where it says, You were in Eden. In the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. Have you ever seen a carbuncle in real life? Have you ever given your loved one a carbuncle necklace as a gift? I haven't either. Crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Okay. So... In the New King James Version of that particular verse, it says, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. It's hard to figure out what this, what this really, what the original meaning was in Hebrew. But obviously, timbrels have to do with, I guess, tambourines, timbrels and dancing. You read about this in the Old Testament. Pipes, the idea of a pipe organ, or perhaps playing the flute. It's, it's a really tough thing to base a whole doctrine off of, um, so it's really hard to know. But uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 12, or sorry, uh, chapter 28, verses 12 through 19 is sort of the passage in question that describe the devil before he became the devil, before he fell. And we can also look at Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, which says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star! Son of the dawn, how you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. So that's uh, one verse that's one section of verses here, Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, that's also usually applied traditionally to the fall of the devil. Ezekiel 28, 14, 
says that he was an anointed guardian cherub. You know, he was a cherubic angel, if you will. It says, you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked. Ezekiel 28.12 says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You know, there's some people that say that Lucifer was actually the highest angel in heaven before he fell. He was, he was, he was number one. This does make some sense because in Revelation chapter 12, where it does talk about war breaking out in heaven, and this is the holy war <laughs> that you were referring to, uh, Matteo, in your email, he had to have been pretty high up there in order to convince one-third of the angels to join him in his rebellion. And we, we saw already one verse that mentions the, the stars. You're higher than the stars. Well, stars in Scripture are often symbolic of angels. So if we look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, it says, it talks about the great dragon, which is another image of the devil. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This idea of trying to take out uh, the Lord Jesus. So who becomes the number one angel after Lucifer's fall, after he becomes the devil? Well, it's St. Michael the Archangel, and he's the one in Revelation 12. It says Michael and his angels make war against him. And in Jude, verse 9, and Jude's one of these letters that's so short that it doesn't even have chapters, just verses. In Jude, verse 9, it says, When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. And so St. Michael is the one who's kind of, if you will, uh, the, the uh, leading angel of rank in heaven. So this, this verse in Isaiah 14, 13, which we alluded to earlier, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. Obviously, the great sin of the devil is pride. That's what made him who he is. And he always tempts us uh, with that very same sin as well. So in terms of the whole musical angle, we really, really don't know but uh, the author Peter Craved says that it kind of does make some sense because music is something that can uh, be a great vehicle of positivity. Obviously, music can help us to praise God. The Psalms are all about that, musical praises of the Lord. But music can also be a gateway into some not-so-holy thoughts and attitudes. Um, song lyrics are so easy to memorize, not so much like the printed page. Uh, our guard is down when we're listening to music. So we have to be really, really careful about uh, what we allow in there. And so that could be that could be uh, an insight into, into this as well. So I hope that answers your question, Mateo, and uh, I appreciate that. And uh, anybody listening can also answer, uh, hopefully get a question answered by emailing me, faith at relevantradio.com the address is f-a-i-t-h faith at relevantradio.com that's the email for the question box for the faith explained program we'll catch you in the next episode join me at 5 p.m central for the gail clark show live right here on relevant radio take care